0: When I was uh, preparing to go to seminary, it was when I was, I was out of college, but I was still living with uh, my college roommates because my wife and I continued to work for our, the college of ministry there um, at UW-Stevens Point. And when I was preparing to go to seminary, I, I'd read some book or heard some talks uh, where some people spoke about um, pastors who discovered, uh, or people who wanted to be pastors, discovered in seminary or while they are in their church that they really weren't Christians. Uh, they had a realization that I didn't believe any of this stuff for myself. I've been taught, and I'm learning how to teach it to others, but I didn't really believe it for myself. And I said something to one of my roommates about how sometimes pastors become Christians uh, after they've become pastors or while they're in seminary, um, and he really couldn't believe that. He was astonished. He was like, why would someone become a pastor um, when they don't really believe this stuff in the Bible, when they don't really trust in Jesus, when they don't love God? Why would someone ever become a pastor? Um, what would be the reason? Um, and we'll come back to the end of that story um, later in the sermon. We're in this series in the gospel according to Luke um, about Jesus in chapters 9 through 19 of this gospel where he's um, making his way to Jerusalem. In chapter 9 he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. It's like this is where I'm going. Um, and he's going there with a bunch of other people doing the yearly pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast which when it's the week of that feast is when Jesus dies. And so he's traveling with other people and going through towns, and as he goes through these towns, um, a lot of people have heard about him, including religious leaders, um, and Jesus is trying to get the word out. Hey, I'm coming through. Anyone who wants to receive me, I'll talk to, him, to them. And he has these crowds of people who are enjoying his teaching or have been healed by him, um, and he's speaking to them, but also to people that are opposing him, uh, particularly the Pharisees and scribes, which were a set of religious leaders in that day, um, and some people call this section the battle of the banquets uh, because it's like Jesus is having all these dinners with people and he kind of you know picks fights with them or they pick fights with him. Um, and he also uses the image of a banquet a lot to talk about this is what the kingdom of God is like. He does a lot of teaching, gives a lot of stories, a lot of images to say this is what God's kingdom is like and here's how you get in on it. Here's the type of people that are entering into it. Um, and in this passage today, um, it's really two scenes Um, and two different scenes, two different groups of people, but both of them are addressing the same topic. And even though it's the same topic, Jesus has a different approach to the two groups that he is talking to uh, to in these passages. And really, these are hard-hitting words. I mean, if you're paying attention to what Brian read, um, just talking to these uh, Pharisees and scribes, um, religious leaders, and saying, like, this is what's wrong with what you're doing with your life. Uh, You've got things messed up. Um, and he's not just like, hey, you know, I just, I just kind of want to talk to you. You know, I think some things are maybe a little off. He just like goes at it. And he's not, you know, doesn't hold back at all. Um, and so they're hard hitting. Um, what I like about this passage is it tells us that we can trust that Jesus will tell us what we need to hear because he loves us enough to do it, even if it's hard, even if it's painful, even if he knows we won't respond to it uh, in a way that's appropriate or helpful for us. Um, But I want to ask, you know, this is, maybe this will seem like a weird question to ask, but hopefully it will become apparent as we go through the passage, especially at the end. But just to ask yourself, don't answer out loud, why are you here today? And that might seem like a really, really dumb thing to ask, like, well, I'm here because I'm a Christian. I go to church services. You know, I'm here because I love God. I wanted to worship. I wanted to be with God's people. But really ask yourself, why are you here today? Not the answer that you know you're supposed to give but the answer of, why are you really here today? And maybe all of us would have a great answer to that. Um, but it's just a good question for us to ask of, like, why do we come to this place on Sundays? Why do we go anywhere on Sundays? Why do we even get involved with any sort of church or Christian activities? Um, why do we do it? Just, what's the reason behind that? And so let's begin looking at this uh, passage. And we're first we're going to go through verses, uh, chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. And really the theme of this is Jesus saying, woe to you, uh, woe to you. And the second scene we'll go into is Jesus is telling people, beware. So in this one he's saying, woe, he's, in the next one he'll be saying, beware. And verse 37 gives us the scene. Uh, it tells us, while Jesus was speaking, you know, so he's, we just got done with him talking to his disciples in a crowd, and now while he's still speaking, uh, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And so the scene is he's invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. And in general... Uh, the Pharisees and other religious leaders are um, opposed to Jesus, or at least they're questioning him, questioning his motives. Where is this guy getting his authority? Why does he think he can say the things he's saying or do the things he's doing? And so there's, there's this general suspicion. Um, but we could also, you know, so why, is it, why does this Pharisee invite him over for dinner? Like, I don't usually invite people over for dinner that I don't like. Um, it could be, hey, let's talk through some issues. Like, we're seeing some things Jesus and we want to, like, get clear. Like, is that what you really think? But, or for sure, surely this is what you think. Like, we're misunderstanding you. Or it could be a test. Like, hey, we want to, you know, kind of test him out. Like, this guy's saying he's from God. Like, let's put him to the test. Like, let's find out if that's the case. Or it could be a, well, keep your enemies close. Like, <laughs> uh, he's kind of riling people up. Um, and sometimes he's saying things that are kind of, uh, um, that can kind of come bad on us. So, like, okay, let's talk to him and see if we get on the same page with him. Well, maybe they're just curious. Like, okay, he's saying some stuff. Some of it sounds crazy, but let's like talk it through. Like, we want to know what you're saying. Um, could be a lot of different things. Why he's at their house? And verse 38 says uh, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, wash his hands. And so Jesus walks in, sits down, doesn't wash his hands, and this gets the Pharisee uh, astonished at what he's doing. Um, and why would that be like, oh man, look at all the germs he's bringing to this place. No, it's not about germs. They didn't know about germs at this point. They so were in a pandemic. You know, Jesus wasn't walking in, not wearing a mask. Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's not the pandemic. Um, it's not about germs. But uh, the Pharisees um, were very concerned with ritual purity. Um, this is um, laws given by God in the Old Testament, um, which were God's laws. They weren't bad. They were meant to teach the people something when they are practiced. In faith, just like many of the things we do today, such as the Lord's Supper or baptism, those things in and of themselves do not save someone, but they can be a thing, as our statement of faith says, that confirm and nourish our faith. Um, So they had these things in the Old Testament that were like, hey, do this stuff. This is how you can be ritually clean. And the whole purpose of it was so that, in a physical way, the people of Israel were always aware of how holy God is, and of how sinful and unclean they were, and that they were dependent on God's grace for him to dwell with them. God, the whole book of Leviticus is, I'm going to dwell among you, I'm going to dwell in the middle of this community, and how is that made possible? The book of Leviticus, all these sacrifices and ritual purity things, that the only way possible for God to dwell amongst, a holy God to dwell amongst an unholy people, is that he would make them clean, give them a way for them to be clean, and that's what those purity laws were about. And now, hand washing was not one of those laws. There were some washing things, but it wasn't a particular thing in the Old Testament. And But a strategy the Pharisees had was, we want to make sure we don't break any of these laws. So here's the laws, and we're going to kind of create a buffer between the laws and us. So they made like this little, like a, they called it a fence of other laws, uh, kind of around God's laws, so that like here's the fence, like let's do be extra careful, so we don't even get close to breaking the laws that God has given us. So one of those laws was hand washing, or it could have been uh, just another way of like we just want to take this super seriously of how uh, we need to be ritually cleaned. And Jesus knew that this would be an issue. He of course knew he grew up in this environment where people are being taught this, and so he knew what the Pharisees. Did and what why they did it, and so you could take it as Jesus making a statement. Walks in, sits down, ready to eat. Doesn't wash his hands. He knows this is going to cause a stir. And then verses thirty-nine through forty-one are Jesus responding. And what's it's interesting to note that it doesn't say Jesus. Verse thirty-seven says, "While Jesus was speaking." Verse thirty-nine says, "And the Lord said to him." So Luke, the one writing this, is identifying. Who's the one that's about to talk to these uh, religious leaders in this way um, about how they're uh, supposedly trying to honor him, the Lord, the Lord of the Old Testament? And so he responds and he says, uh, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And so he tells them, it's foolish for you to care so much about outer cleanness while ignoring what's inside of you. It is foolish. You're acting like fools. If you think that that's what matters the most, this outer cleanness, while you're ignoring what's inside of you, it's foolish. You're acting like fools. It it makes no sense. And then he goes on to give them these woes. There's six of them in total. Three of them are for the Pharisees. Three of them are for the scribes um, or the experts in the law or lawyers, sometimes they're called. Um, so he gives six woes, and, you know, woe isn't necessarily something, I don't, maybe you use it in your daily life, I don't usually use it in my daily life, like, you know, maybe, maybe W-H-O-A, like, whoa, but not a woe, you know, like, that did not even sound right there, so it sounded like, you know, W-H-O-A, but a woe uh, was something you would say at a funeral, it's like a funeral lament, and so it's like Jesus begins holding their funeral for them, like, Um, well, it looks like you guys are dead, so let me start with your funeral, just saying these woes to you. And so it's a funeral lament that warns and challenges. You're dead. You have a dead faith. You have a dead religion. You're dead, so let me start holding your funeral and tell you what killed you, basically. And so the first woe he gives them is in verse 42. They're neglecting love. They're neglecting love. He says, verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so they're given a tenth of even these littlest things. The, the, so that was something from the Old Testament. You tithe on the things that you produce, the things you get. And so they're giving a tenth even of their little like herbs and stuff that they're getting. Like, oh, I've got to measure out my mint. And like, you know, it's like this little sprinkle. Like, I've got to make sure I give God what is his due. But what does God actually ask for? He says, love me with your whole heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, you're giving a tenth of even the littlest things, but you're not loving your neighbor through justice, through making things right, the things that are wrong in this society, and you're not loving God either. In second woe, verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. And so here they're loving recognition. They're loving the honor, the attention, the respect that they get for their position. They're loving that instead of loving God. And then verse 44 just basically says they're dead. The third woe. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. In the Old Testament, contact with death made you impure. It would make you ritually impure, which is something the Pharisees are very concerned with. Um, they're, you know, so if you one thing would be walking over a grave. Like you marked the grave so you didn't walk over it, and thus come in contact with death, so that you're impure, and then you got to go through the... Um, the the, um, cycle of things to become pure again. Um, But he's telling them, instead of helping people be pure before God, they're making people impure. Like their whole goal is like, we want to be pure, want to be ritually clean. And we're teaching other people how to be ritually clean. And he's telling them like, you're doing the opposite of what you say you're doing and are supposed to be doing. Like you're not helping people be ritually clean. Like you're dead. So every time people are coming in contact with you, you're just making them impure. Like you're your influence of how you're interacting with God is being bring, uh, turned over to them. Your influence brings death, not life. So let me come to verse 45. One of the lawyers answered, a little interruption. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Uh, and you can, this kind of gets us into their mindset. Like we can, I mean, just imagine if somebody came in here, um, or even me, if I just started like, ripping into you about all the things I see you're doing wrong. Or somebody came in here and was like this, you know, imagine Jesus walking in here and being like, you guys are all dead. What are you even doing here? Like, you know, just starts ripping into all the things we're doing. And imagine he was the one we invited here, like our guest speaker or something. And then it's like, we feel a little insulted, a little offended. Like, hey, like we're hosting you. Like you're a guest. Like, why are you saying these things about us? We're, uh, we're your host. And you can kind of see, you know, being offended or appalled. Like, I mean, can you imagine having a dinner party and somebody at it just starts ripping into you and all your guests? Like, it's, uh, it's insulting and offensive. And it makes the scribes, the, you know, the, the scribes are like, hey, by the way, you're not just offending them, you're offending us. And Jesus is like, well, let me make sure that the offense is really clear. So now he rips into them. It's like, I'm an equal opportunity offender. So now to the scribes, uh, verse, uh, verse 46. He said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people in burdens hard, with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so he calls them lawyers there. Um, and verse 45 said one of the lawyers. These are people not necessarily like in the, the court, like you know, winning a big lawsuit or something. But this is people, like experts in the law, lawyers, law figures, you know, So they're, they know the Old Testament law and they help people learn what, uh, what it means and how to understand it. And so he's saying, you're loading people with burdens. That's their first woe. You are loading people with burdens they can't bear, and you don't help them to bear them either. And really, they're so focused on all these rules. We've got to tie this. We've got to wash our hands. We gotta, here's all the things we have to do. And there's not anything wrong with telling people what you need to do to be faithful to God, to be obedient, to be surrendered, to show you're trusting him. Nothing wrong with that. But what they're doing is they've so focused on all these things. like It's just this list of things that you have to do and it's disconnected from the heart, disconnected from loving God and loving other people. And they're saying, this is how you're right with God. This is what he wants. He wants you to be concerned with all of this, these rules for you to follow. Rules aren't bad, but they are bad, disconnected from love, a loving relationship. It gives them a second uh, woe in verses 47 through 51. This is a longer one. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And so he's like, woe to you, you're prophet killers. Uh, and the, the prophets were uh, spokesmen, spokeswomen for God's way of righteousness. They're, God sends a message with him to the people saying, this is how you've gotten off track. Return to God, love him, love your neighbor, actually do this. You've gotten off track. And the first, we're told the first recorded death of a prophet is Abel, Genesis 4, someone who is representing <coughs> God's way of righteousness. And then the last recorded was in Second Chronicles, Zechariah. And he's saying, all you're responsible, you're taking part, you're prophet killers, all the prophets of the past and the apostles and the prophets that are present <laughs> today, that you, are, you have this attitude the same as your ancestors. You don't listen to them, you shut them up, and you get rid of them. And he says, you're finishing the job your ancestors started by burying the ones that they killed. And they haven't killed a prophet themselves with their own hands yet. Verse 52 is the third and the third woe for the lawyers? Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. These law experts are supposed to bring knowledge, understanding about the law, about what God wants, about God's instruction. Instead, they're keeping people from knowing God. It's like they they've locked the door. They've locked the door to knowing God. Woe to you, you've locked the door for people to know God. You didn't enter in, and you locked it so other people couldn't get in either. And so it's the same thing that he says to the Pharisees. You are doing the opposite of what you say you're doing and what you're supposed to do. Uh, Pharisees, you're trying to help people be pure, but because you're dead, you make everyone impure. Lawyers, scribes, you're supposed to be giving people knowledge and understanding of God, but you're doing the opposite. You're locking the doors to that. And so Jesus, in these woes, he warns and challenges. He tells them, this is what you're doing, and this is how it's affecting other people. You are totally off, and it's influencing, corrupting, uh, defiling other people as well, keeping them out of things. And then in 12.1, he calls them, we're going to get there, that's the second scene, he calls them hypocrites, that they are practicing hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, um, a simple way to think of it, it's pretending to be something you're not. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something you're not. Being someone on the outside that you aren't on the inside. And Jesus' image is you guys have cleaned the outside of the cup, but inside it's dirty. You're pretending to be clean. You're pretending to be people who care about God, who respect God, who honor God, who love God, but it's just on the outside, it's not on the inside. The inside is dirty. You're pretending to be something you're not. Pretending to be people who love God on the outside, but you don't on the inside. But what do they love instead? He says they love the best seats. They love respect, being recognized, honored. They perhaps love the paycheck, the status, feeling better than others, pretending to be people who know God but actually uh, don't, and they keep others from knowing him. And they look like, like we saw just before this passage, they look like they're in the light, but actually they're full of darkness. They are religiously close to God, but relationally far. They're doing all the religious things, which makes them look close to God, but they're relationally far on the inside. And God actually hates this. He detests it. He abhors it. He's disgusted by it. He hates this. I'll example: some examples. Let me just prove the point from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, talking to them about their religious practices. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. I think I have one more verse, actually. Next page. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God hates hypocrisy, especially hypocrisy that's directed towards him. Jesus hates it because God hates it. And he's telling them, there's this disconnect between your actions and your heart. Jesus quotes Isaiah later um, in Matthew chapter 15, 8 to 9. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Is that the Pharisees and scribes that he's talking to, he's saying, you're doing all this stuff on the outside, honoring me with your lips, honoring me with your sacrifices and your tithes and whatever you're doing, but your hearts are far from me. You are religiously engaged and religiously close, uh, but you are relationally unengaged. You're relationally far from me. Jesus hates hypocrisy because God hates hypocrisy. And then verses 53 and 54, we see what Jesus does. It says, As he went away from there, so he leaves the party, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to revoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so he walks out and they kind of follow behind him, try to get him to say something or do something uh, that they could get, you know, dirt on him. And it proves his point. You're clean on the outside, you're dirty on the inside. You don't listen to prophets like Jesus is. You get rid of them, but at least they're ritually clean while they do it. So second part, verses twelve chapter twelve, verses one through twelve. It uh, starts off by saying, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. And so, in the meantime, while the scribes and Pharisees are trying to catch him in something, uh, plotting against him, he speaks to his disciples in the hearing of a big crowd. And he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Basically, beware of their hypocrisy. Uh, leaven is, another uh, word is yeast. And it spreads. You put it in dough, it's not going to stay in that one little part of the dough. It's going to spread throughout the whole thing. And so he's like, if you let the leaven or the yeast of hypocrisy into one part of your life, it's going to spread to the whole thing. It's going to take over. So don't be like them. Don't let that influence you. Don't let them uh, infest you with that. And so he gives reasons why, why shouldn't you do this? Why shouldn't you follow in their footsteps? First uh, verses 2 to 3, he says, All will be revealed. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. God will judge, he will hold accountable those who are doing things in public that, and doing things in private that contradict one another. Uh, God, there's no hiding, there's no fooling him. Dirty cups will be revealed. Cups that are dirty on the in, inside will be revealed. Then he says, also gives them this encouragement, to fear not, verses 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he's killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're more value than many sparrows. So the ending words of this, the theme is, "Fear not, do not fear." starts by saying, "Do not fear," ends by saying, "Do not fear." And he sees this storm clouds coming. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's like the final three, four weeks of his life, and he knows what's going to happen. I'm going to go. I'm going to be killed by the, the religious leaders, and then I'm going to rise again." And he's saying, and he's told people, "If you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross too. Because that's what the world does to people who stand against it, who love God. People who hate God, crucify those who love God. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And so he's like, if you want to follow me, this is what's going to happen to you too. And so he says, you know, things are coming. The storm clouds are coming in. But he says, don't fear. Why? Well, first, God is scarier. That's basically the point he makes. If we're talking about who can do (laughs) more (laughs) harm (laughs) to us, (laughs) God (laughs) wins. (laughs) He's like, don't fear these people that can kill your body. God can kill you and then throw you into hell, like a second death that the book of Revelation talks about. And so don't fear them, fear him. But that's not what's most important. He actually says, okay, if we're talking about who can harm you the most, God is scarier. Fear him. If you want to talk about that, if you're afraid of what they can do to you, fear what God can do to you. But the second point of why they shouldn't fear is God values and cares about you. He says sparrows, you know, they're off the dollar menu. Uh, They're they're like the cheapest thing you can buy. You know, they're sold for how how much? But they're not forgotten. And his argument is, God doesn't forget these little sparrows that you don't even think about. They're off the dollar menu. How much more is he not going to forget about you? How much more is he going to care about you? He counts your hairs on your head. And how would you count a kid's hairs? Uh, You'd be holding them, right? It's like you have to be that close to be holding your kid and counting their hairs. It's like God's holding you close. He's taking care of you. He values you more than these little birds. Like, you know he values them, right? He created them all. Like, how much more does he care and value, care about and value you? Um, and one of the things that's helpful here is, um, I mean, he says, don't fear them. God's got you. And so he's saying difficulty will come, but the difficulty doesn't mean that God's forgotten you, doesn't care about you, and that you're not valued. Actually, it's the opposite. You're experiencing this difficulty because you love him. And because you love him, he cares about you, values you, and he's got you. And then he tells them, verses 8 through 12, to acknowledge him no matter what. He so says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, referring to himself, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself, what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So he says, I want you to acknowledge me before people. Uh, Basically, go public uh, with your faith. Like, don't hide it because of what's going to happen to you if you are my follower. Um, And then he has these comparisons. This comparison of speaking against Jesus versus speaking against the Spirit. Or denying Jesus versus blasphemy. Uh, of the spirit. I mean, blasphemy is mean, a serious word. We don't really use it that much, but it's slandering or reviling or insulting God, speaking evil, speaking bad about God, insulting him. And he, Jesus says, like, he understands that he's going to be easily misunderstood. People are going to misunderstand me. They're going to misunderstand that I was from God, what it meant for me to be the Messiah, what it meant for me to be the son of God. Um, I don't even misunder- easily misunderstood, and you can repent of that. People denying me or people speaking evil against me, they can repent from that, come back from that. Like, I understand what's going to happen. That's how I take what he's saying. But he says, but to witness God's work to the Spirit, and not just deny you saw it, but actually speak evil about it, means that you've cut yourself off from the very work that could save you. Does that make sense? It's like if you see God's work, and you know it's God's work, and you then deny that reality and that truth and actually say something bad about that. You're cutting yourself off from the very thing that can save you, that can rescue, that can uh, forgive you. And it's not just denying what you see to be true, but also speaking evil against it. And I was trying to think of an image that would maybe help us like, to get into this. I don't know if it quite got me there, but you know, hopefully it, it does. And it's kind of like a parent... It's similar to a parent disowning a child of like, that is literally their child. It's your kid, biologically, relationally, taking care of him for, I don't know, the last 18, 20, 30 years. Been in a relationship parent to child. And for a parent to say, I disown you, you're not my son, you're not my daughter anymore, is to say, I'm denying what's true, and I'm also speaking evil. Like, it's not just like, hey, I'm not going to care about you, but you just are not my kid anymore. And then, for all these reasons, this is why not. And that just, it's kind of like a twisted situation, right? Which is the same as, like, blasphemy against the Spirit. It's like seeing, this is true, I know it's true, but I'm going to deny it and disown it and actually speak against it. And it's a hardness of heart. Let me just say, if you're worried about blaspheming the Spirit, You haven't. uh, Because if you're worried about it, then your heart is not hard toward God or the Spirit. And these are not one time acts, but they're things that are like a continual thing. So, this is some hard hitting stuff. It gets us into being hypocrites, gets into not being hypocrites, and acknowledging Jesus before people, no matter the consequences. And the reality is that uh, we're all hypocrites at a certain level. Uh, There's two types of hypocrisy. One is saying we believe something, but not doing in accord with that. Um, For instance, James chapter 2, even the demons believe and shudder, but they don't live in alignment with that belief. Um, And so we might say, well, okay, so the answer is doing stuff. I can't say I believe things and not do stuff, so the answer is doing stuff. But that's the other type of hypocrisy. It's doing without really believing. Um, both don't have the heart engaged. Uh, both are, are heartless uh, ways. So one is like, yeah, I believe all this stuff the Bible says, but it makes no difference in my life. And one is, I'm doing, 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 but I'm really not doing it out of love for God or the love he's shown to me. And that's the, that's the one in this passage, doing without really believing, doing without really loving God. Um, and Jesus' invitation was in verse 41, chapter 11. He says to them, But give us alms those things that are within. Behold, everything is clean for you. So he has, obviously, some pretty intense words for them. But he's not just like, you are hopeless. You're a hopeless cause. He gives them hope. He gives hope for these hypocrites. And he says, this is my invitation. Basically, take what's inside of you and give that to God. Don't just be worrying about the outside. All that, everything inside of you, your heart and your desires and your passions, and even all the uncleanness, give it to God um, bring it to him to make it clean, to make your heart clean, to, to use it and to uh, follow him with it. Give God your heart and he'll clean you from the inside out. And we and if we kept reading in Isaiah, that earlier passage in Isaiah chapter 1, verses uh, 18 through 20, um, God says to them, like, I hate all this stuff you're doing, but come now, even though your sins are, uh, what is it, red, red as scarlet, scarlet, your sins are as scarlet, I can make you white as snow. And so, you know, just... Uh, imagine like we went outside and we threw out, I don't know, all this red salsa all over the snow and it's like, that's really staining but God's like, I can just take that away. Uh, you, you have done what I hate. I detest it. I'm disgusted by what you're doing. But come on, we can take care of this. I can take care of this. I can forgive you. Uh, you're red with sin. I can make you white as snow. And how could he do that? It's because Jesus died for our hypocrisy. The worst thing we could do is deny that we are ever hypocrites because then we don't bring it to the cross where Jesus can make us white as snow. It's like, Jesus, I know there's so many things I read, so many things I know, so many things I say I believe, and I know I often feel short of doing out of those things. But even more so, what this passage is about is doing without really believing. And That's why I asked earlier, why are you here? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you come to church services? Why do you, you know, serve people and, and do things to help people? Like, Why do we do that? And if we're doing without believing, if Jesus isn't the why behind what we're doing, um, then we've become hypocrites. But and Now, I wouldn't say, stop doing all those things until your heart can be in the right place. Um, that's never really what the Bible says. It doesn't ever say, like, hey, if your heart isn't in it, stop doing it. Um, sometimes we do things until our heart is in it, and sometimes the doing of the things can actually be what bring our heart into alignment. But that's only if we have open hearts, responsive hearts, soft hearts. But what we see with these leaders that Jesus is talking to is that they have hard hearts. They're not loving God. They're not loving people. And they're just focused on doing. And there's no love driving that. No love for God. No love for other people. And so Jesus identifies the temptation to be hypocrites when he's speaking to his disciples. Calling ourselves followers of followers of Jesus, up until it costs us something. That's why he's warning them, like, I don't want you guys to be hypocrites. And so here's what you're going to do when people are up against you, when things aren't going your way, when there's temptation to turn away because it's hard or painful. He says, "Uh, don't be my followers only until it costs you something. I want you to stay true, to not be hypocrites, to say you're my followers, but then not really follow through with it. And the good news for us is that Jesus isn't so personally offended by us being unfaithful to him, that he would never say, come to me, I've paid for this, I forgive you. Jesus will take us back. And Jesus is always more faithful to us than we are to him. And if it wasn't the case, then he wouldn't have had to die. If we could be perfect followers, we wouldn't have needed the one we're following to die for us, to pay for our failings at being his followers. So we need to watch out for hypocrisy in our own life because God hates heartless religion. And to go back to that you know, story at the beginning that my friend was just shocked, like how could someone become a pastor and not really believe it? And I can identify with these religious leaders that it can, and this is for all of us, it doesn't just mean like having confession hour, but why would we do the things we do? Why would any of you serve uh, in the church context? Why would we do any of this stuff? It's because it can make us feel good, make us feel better than other people. We, I feel good about myself. Like I need to do this, I'm supposed to do it. I did what I'm supposed to do, and I did it being a pastor or any service role it can be like people recognize me they appreciate me uh, there's a certain like oh you really blessed me we can serve for all those reasons and Jesus if Jesus isn't the why behind why we're doing things and our hearts have become closed to it it's like well now we've gotten off track there's so many reasons that we would do you know religious things or Jesus things that aren't really motivated by love for Jesus and so I often ask myself is do I really believe this stuff? Is this real to me? What difference is this making? Or do I just stand up here and teach it and read it and, you know, throw out my week and be like, oh, that was interesting. And then I just walk away and it didn't make any difference. Is this real? Do I really believe it? And we all need to ask that. And ask ourselves, why do you do what you do? Is Jesus why? Or is there a reason beside Jesus that you're doing the things that you do as a Christian? And our theme for this year is, hypo- is, is joy, not hypocrisy. Sorry. Our theme for this year <laughs> is joy, uh, and hypocrisy kills joy. You know, faking it, doing things we don't really believe in, just kind of going through the motions. Like that kills joy because it's faking a relationship with Jesus, and that is joyless. And I was thinking, it doesn't really work because I was thinking yesterday, like we've had a snowless winter. Well, got proven wrong. But a snowless winter is kind of like uh, you know, it's like an oxymoron, Hudson. I'll talk to, I was talking to him about the seasons a couple of days ago. My son, he's four. And I was like, you know, we have this season, this season, this season. I was like, we're in winter now. He's like, we're not in winter, Daddy. There's no snow. I was like, well, that's fair. You know, so it's kind of like an oxymoron. It's like a joyless follower of Jesus is an oxymoron. And we get there when we start going through the motions of like, I just do this stuff because this is what I'm supposed to do. Or it's so people won't mad at me or they won't, uh, you know, see me as being less than or whatever it is. And the good news for us is that Jesus is never a hypocrite. (laughs) Jesus always does what he says. Uh, He believes everything he does. Uh, He can always be trusted. Since he's not a hypocrite, we can always trust him that this is the real Jesus, that the one that we're seeing in the Bible, when we're experiencing uh, through the Spirit and through God's people, that is the real Jesus. He's always true to us. Let me pray. And then we're going to have a bit of a reflection exercise on this topic. Father, we're so grateful that you're always more faithful to us than we are to you. And thank you for paying for our unfaithfulness um, through your faithful son. Lord, would you help us to be people who really believe this stuff. Uh, all these things we say we believe, that we read in the Bible, and would you let it make a difference in our lives? And would you let us follow Jesus no matter the cost? For something we pray. Amen.